Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is the author of Lost Girls, which is a collection of short stories and winner of the Pencraft Award and finalist for the Clara Johnson IAN and Best Book Awards and Poetry Chapbooks, Surrender and Abide. Her poetry has appeared in numerous literary journals, and she was a finalist for the 2019 and 2020 Rita Dove Poetry Prize. Her fiction has appeared in many journals as well. She is a winner of the Bevel Summers Prize for Short Fiction. Welcome to Authors Over 50. Ellen Burkett Morris. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Ellen, our opening question is always, so what took you so long to write your first book? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that I was a writer in training all along. So I found ways to write. I wrote on my school newspaper. I worked freelance as of, on a women's magazine, contributed a health column, uh, did a home and garden column for my local newspaper as a freelancer. Then I got on as a business reporter and boy, I got tired of writing about buildings and square footage. So uh, I really figured out, I was in about my mid thirties when I said, oh, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. And so I committed myself to creative writing, started working in poetry And then worked my way to short stories, which made up this collection, Lost Girls. And right now I'm working on novel length work. So I've sort of taken small steps to to get where I was going. But I always felt like I was a writer in training. I was uh, getting words on the page, getting published, watching people, gathering stories and trying to find a way to uh, put it all together. Well, it does take a a while to learn our craft. And, and a lot of us have spent careers writing, but not in fiction or novels. And that's a whole different ball game as well. Sure is. I found it was really freeing to be able to do things with fiction. I uh, wasn't limited by, you know, what people said to me. And uh, so I, I, it turned out to be a really good choice. You might tell our listeners what a poetry chapbook is, not being a Poet, I had to look up the definition when I saw that you had two of them. 
Yeah, poetry chapbooks are short volumes of poetry that are usually anywhere between 16 and 32 pages long. And they're usually very thematically tight. And so my first chapbook is called Surrender. I wrote it after the death of my father when I found that and, and after getting diagnosed with a chronic illness and finding out that I kind of had to surrender to my circumstances. And then the second chapbook, which just came out last year, is called Abide. And uh, again, given everything we've all been through, it sort of seemed like a good theme. We need to abide with things. We need to be able to stay in there even when things are difficult and be with what is. And and so that was the theme of that uh, chat book. So, yeah. Well, I need to read that one. Sometimes I find myself not living in the moment, you know, just living by a checklist. So that sounds good to me. I hear you. Same here. What is your inspiration? I understand a premise for a story, but what about for poetry? Boy, I would say that inspiration is really all around us. You know, that uh, you just mentioned how hard it is to stay in the moment. And so the title poem from Abide came from uh, it, just that. I was, I, it starts off talking about how we never take time to savor the sunlight uh, glistening on the wood floor the, the feel of our dog's fur, the taste of, of seasonal fruit, those kinds of things. And, and so that just came from all around me when I was, when I was struggling myself with that particular uh, question of how do I stay in the moment. Um, for these short stories, the inspiration came from a lot of different places, but the title story, Lost Girls, came from a kidnapping of a girl in my neighborhood when I was 18 years old. And uh, it was so um, scary. It had happened as she was taken from a, a, a mall that was really near my house, a mall where I'd spent a lot of time before, and they just, you know, they never found her. And so um, the, the story was built around this idea of how do you honor somebody that you don't know, but who, but whose life you mourn? You know, what's it like to, to see that sort of a uh, a loss when you're of a certain age and you think easily it could have been you, you know. Um, so that came straight out of the headlines, as they say. Um, other stories in the book have to do with emotions. Uh, I, have a, I have a story in there called Harvest, and it's about aging. And this woman is on a bus and she looks into, she sees her reflection in the mirror of the bus. She thinks, who is that old woman? And she realizes it's her. And all the while knowing that she's 16 years old inside, you know, and so how does she reconnect with herself? How does she accept herself as she is and reconnect with that girl inside? That's so interesting. You know, I, I used to think that poetry would have to be a harder sell, but I've heard that it's it's really making a resurgence and especially among young people. Have you found this to be the case? I think that's really true. And I think all of us are craving a, an opportunity to, to read something short and meaningful and, and not have to have, have to focus at great length. And so I think that may be where that's coming from. When you are, are trying to sell your poetry, do you target more magazines or journals? How does that work? With both the poetry and the short stories, um, I, I usually go first to literary magazines. 
Um, they're sort of a great place for writers to gain a reputation among their peers. So, uh, you know, you, you, and in fact, there are places to go to see how those various literary magazines are ranked, how they're regarded by people at large. One of them is, was created by a guy who went to the same graduate school as me, and his name is uh, Clifford Garstang. And at his website, which is cliffordgarstang.com, he's got a ranking of literary journals based on their nominations to something called the Pushcart Prize. And so it gives you a really good sense of the lay of the land and which journals are most prestigious. And so often I'll send my work there first. And then when I find I've got a gather a collection of stuff that is thematically tied, then I'll go ahead and put it into a collection. Well, when you put these short stories into a, a collection? Did you um, search for an agent? Did you decide to choose a hybrid? Did you go with the small press or did you decide to self-publish? You know, I, I, uh, I didn't, I, I was so eager to get these into the world and so convinced that they were cohesive and good and, and needed to be in the world that I didn't wait to send it around to agents. A lot of agents are reluctant to sell short story collections. They like to sell novels, but they feel like unless you're a known entity, it's less likely that people will pick up your short stories. So I went straight to independent presses and, um, and landed at Touchpoint Press, which is out of the South. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I enjoyed working with them. And I had a lot of say over things like uh, the book cover, which I'll just give you a brief glimpse of, which I love, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which I feel really captured the book. And so I had a lot of say over that kind of thing. I worked with a fantastic editor, uh, Kim Conlon, and uh, it was a good experience. Um, but, you know, I, I did have that moment where I thought, you know, gosh, I'm in my mid fifties. I really want to get this into the world. And so I went that route first. Uh, I'm currently looking for an agent, however, for these novel projects that I've got. So tell us about those novel projects. Oh gosh. Uh, one of them is called Beware the Tall Grass. And it is the story told in alternating points of view between the mother of a son who has past life memories and the soldier whose memories the son has. So you get two different stories. The mother, as she's struggling to deal with this very young child who has these very disturbing memories, and it starts to put a strain on her marriage and everything. And she's trying desperately to heal him because she wanted to be the best parent ever. She thought she was getting a sort of a blank slate situation and she wasn't. And then on the other side, you get to see this young soldier, this boy from Montana who gets sent to Vietnam and what happens to him. And so the tagline for that is really uh, the power of love and mercy in a world where things seem out of our control. And it's true of both, both uh, characters in the story, both main characters. So uh, the other story is the story of a young female astronomer who goes to Hawaii, gets involved in a love triangle, discovers a celestial body, uh, gets, and also gets uh, in trouble at work because uh, she happens to be dating a guy who's protesting the development of telescopes on top of the mountains in Hawaii. So she's got a real conflict of interest there. Lots, there's lots of romance there. There's some intrigue with the celestial discovery. Um, that one was a lot of fun to write. Well, it sounds like you've become very prolific. And those are 
such interesting premises um, for those both of those books. Did real people or real events inspire any of any of those plots? You know, I, I heard a, a story on National Public Radio about children with past life memories, and I thought, well, I want to write it, but I want to write it straight ahead without any magical realism, without any mysticism. I'm going to write it like, what would you do if your kid came to you and said, oh, I was in Vietnam? How would you handle it? And so that's how I wrote it. And uh, and then the other one was sparked. There was a uh, there was a, a, a celestial body that went across the sky. It's probably been five to seven years ago that they couldn't figure out if it was a comet or an asteroid. And it was definitely something new. And that was the thing that made me think about that story. Why don't you tell us a bit about your book and then read a few paragraphs so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book? Absolutely. Lost Girls is a collection of stories about women and girls at all ages. Uh, We've got girls who are 12. We go to women who are as old as, you know, 75 or 80. Um, And and really, they're stories of resilience. They're stories of women helping women. Um, Several things happen in the stories that are kind of unexpected. That's a thread. We've got a, a, a virgin who wanders into what she thinks is a decoupage class, but it turns out to be a breastfeeders league meeting. And she decides she wants to stay because they're all so warm and lovely and make her feel so welcome. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned the story about the woman who was aging and, and um, is trying to reconcile her, her old self with her young self. And, and along the way, she helps an old friend who's having memory issues. I've got a story of two young girls and their friendship and a mother's unexpected diagnosis and the, and the strain that puts on their situation. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of unexpected things happening in the book. I'm going to read you just a couple of paragraphs from the title story, Lost Girls. When I was 18, 13-year-old Dana Lampton disappeared from the strip mall across from her family's apartment. My mind should have been on other things, guys, college, getting past the ID checker at the door of the club, but Dana's disappearance captured my attention. We lived in the same neighborhood, and the nearness of the crime creeped me out. As a kid, even before Dana disappeared, I was sure that I would be the girl that was taken. I was always on edge waiting for the next catastrophe, the next fight, my dad moving out, my world collapsing around me as my mother cried day after day. Well, that that's very poignant there. I, I think that makes us want to, to read more. I, I do hope folks are able to check it out. You know, ultimately, as an author and as an author over 50, I know what matters. And it's, it's really just to find that reader, nothing else. Uh, I don't expect big sales or anything else, but I definitely hope to find that reader, that right reader. I think that's what we're all looking for. And the challenge for most of us writers is publicity and marketing ourselves. We love to write and sit in our little cubby hole and write, but we hate to get out and promote ourselves. Have you done anything that worked or maybe something that didn't work that you can share? Well, I've done a lot of things and it's been fantastic. I would say podcasts are a huge part of what I've done to get the word out. And there are so many wonderful podcasts out there. So um, I would urge other writers to seek those out. Uh, Also, you know, uh, 
other writers read. And so build a writing community, um, people you've taken classes with, folks that you know that love books. They're often sometimes some of the most supportive people when you when you come out with that book of your own. So I would say seek that out as well. Yeah. What is your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? Do you write every day? You know, I do write something every day and I'm more, I tend to be more of a, I like to get up in the morning and do my exercise right away. I do water walking at a local pool. So I go and get that out of the way. And then I'm an afternoon writer and, uh, you know, I take, I don't think I, I find it hard to write for eight solid hours. So what at best I've got a couple, two or three hours where I can really stay focused and so I go and um, and really spend that time. And then the rest of the time I'm doing things like I do author interviews uh, for the Southern Review of Books and for a website called Author Link. So I'll do that or often reading other friends stuff. Right now I'm in the middle of critiquing a friend's novel before she finally sends it out to get published. And so uh, that's part of that, I think, paying it back that you do. Um, so I spend a good deal of time reading other people's stuff as well. How long do you think on the average it takes you to complete a piece of work? Boy, <laughs> at this point, it looks like I'm coming in at somewhere between five and 10 years um, for this, for the short story collection. When I first started writing the stories to when I finally got them together, even the novels, you know, it looks like I'm coming in somewhere between five, five and probably five and seven years. And so it's a matter of being really patient and working and reworking. And so I think that's what I'm looking at at this point. Yeah. Well, that's not very unusual. Some people can write a book every year and some take 15 years. So <laughs> we're all across the map. Yeah, it takes what it takes. What do you think was the best money you've ever spent as a writer? I, you know, I'll, I'll say that I think the best money I've spent as a writer was hiring a developmental editor. You know, I've spent a lot of time uh, at workshops, expensive workshops where you spend a week with other writers. God, they're fun. I love them. You, you meet some great folks. You build community. But the most effective thing for me, especially, with, and I did it with these novel projects, for something that big where you need some help is to get an experienced developmental editor and spend some money on that. I don't regret any of it. I've learned so much. What about reading? Do you make time to read for pleasure? And if so, what genres? Gosh, yeah, I'd love to read. You know, I, I, I read a lot of different stuff. I read poetry and fiction, some light fiction, some more literary heavy fiction. I just read this fantastic uh, book, Horse by Geraldine Brooks, uh, which was uh, which is a book that takes on it's book it's got a bit of a mystery involving a painting of a horse but it also takes on issues of of uh, racism through history through the horse racing industry and into today it's beautifully written i've enjoyed every minute of it um i'm also reading a book called um you have a friend in 10a by maggie shipstead and she's a novelist but these are short stories and they are fantastic um, one after another they're surprising me and uh i'm really enjoying it so you know some of us have obsessive 
problems with uh, Googling ourselves and reading reviews. Do you do that? And how do you deal with the bad or the good ones? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I've, I've had the great good fortune of having a lot of good reviews, both on Amazon and then professionally for this book. And it was really gratifying because I'd put in so much work and I really felt like I made sure the book was ready before I sent it out into the world. So uh, the good reviews, of course, have that feeling of elation. Of elation. And yet, um, again, I have to remind myself that, you know, that's fantastic that somebody liked it. That's so great. But the really important thing is that I sit down every day and I do the work. And the really important, the really meaningful ones for me are often the ones that come from women I don't know who drop me an email and say, oh, I have a lost girl story for you or, oh, your story's really touched me. Thank you so much. Uh, so, So that's that's where I get the greatest satisfaction. But, you know, reviews are fantastic. But, you know, I guess I've heard different things from other writers. One thing is you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And that's okay. That is really okay. Don't let it scare you from doing what you're doing. Just keep keep telling your stories, you know, and uh, that would be probably my best advice there. Well, that's great advice, but our writers over 50 are a unique set, and sometimes we need different advice for writers 50 and above. Is there anything you wish that somebody had shared with you or any advice you wish you'd heard when you first started? Yeah, you know, I guess I would say be patient and that it takes however long it takes. And it's every bit as valuable coming now as if it had come in your 20s. You know, this is this is for many of us the fulfillment of a dream, the fulfillment of our destiny, uh, destiny, the payoff for a lot of hard work. And so I would just say, try your best to enjoy every moment and not let not feel time pressure or other kinds of pressure, not to let that rob you of any of the joy of what you've accomplished. Ellen, I think that is a wonderful place for us to end our chat today. I can tell you're a poet because you're so lyrical, even in your just speaking to me and answering questions today. So we just appreciate you so much being with us today. And now you're one of our authors over 50. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.